Welcome to Painters Today. My name is Lucy Cox and in conjunction with the Prizeman Seabrook Collections, I will be presenting a series of podcasts featuring contemporary artists active in the United Kingdom today. You can subscribe to these podcasts via SoundCloud and my blog, the links to which can be found in the description. For more information regarding the Prizeman Seabrook Collections, visit prizemanseabrook.org. This is episode 5, Crocodile Skin and Pill Packets, featuring Alex Hanna. Well, it's it's actually quite uh, beneficial um, in terms of drying paints because if you're working with paints that, that can be slow to dry, the, the heat does have a, a benefit. During the winter, um, you know, the paintings up here um, tend to, you know, take a, that bit longer, sometimes a week or something. Um, obviously, there's ways around that by using various different things in the paint. You can uh, accelerate the, the drying rate. Yeah. Mm. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. and what kind of paints are you using right now in your? Um, your well, studio? I'm using mixture. Um, I'm using at the at the moment, the very moment, I'm using conventional oil-based um, standard paints. Um, pretty much sort of stuff that I've bought. Uh, th- though there is some handmade stuff that I occasionally use as well. Um, but um, like for example, about a week ago, I was using um, uh, an industrial type of paint mixed with some of the conventional paints. Um, so sometimes there's a bit of that going on, and then before that, um, the industrial paints layered up, so it's actually quite a thick build-up of paint, um, which takes absolutely months and months to dry. Um, I've got a, a painting over there, for example, that I did. Um, near the start of the year and it's still wet now uh, underneath the skin you can actually press it and um, it's like a kind of putty that's formed underneath the skin so um, you have to be careful because the paint uh, will will um, respond to gravity mm-hmm. if um, if it's not stored properly mm-hmm. okay? okay and in terms of um, you know in terms of that sort of puttiness what if you were to, to exhibit that and get like in a gallery now I mean would you have to be to be careful or, yes. or would you wait for no 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 like I, I, well I learned the hard way yeah um, I was I had some work in the um, London Art Fair 
um, last year in 2017, uh, in, in uh, January there. And um, the um, gallerist who invited me to exhibit had, had kind of given me an idea of what he wanted me to produce um, for the exhibition. So although it wasn't a commission, it was kind of like, it felt like that, you know. And he gave me <laughs> conditions, and he's, he's a, a really lovely guy. Um, um, but he, he suggested that, um, you know, I shouldn't paste anything too dark <laughs> because people weren't feeling very kind of um, happy with themselves at the moment financially. I <laughs> uh, keep it light. And, yeah. But also, um, he wanted certain you know, specifications so that they, they didn't actually stick out too much. And some of these paintings here that they're quite, they've got a deep profile. Mm. Um, he wants a slightly shallower profile. So I, I, I set about making the paintings mm. and then um, I, I let them dry because I did them as soon as he told me. So they, they, they were drying there for several weeks, month, uh, about a month or so. And I thought, yeah. well, there's a skin on them now. That will help. It means that they won't be tacky or anything. But the paint is so thick that when I, they actually were, were hung up, I noticed after a, a day or two when they came around the, the art fair that they started to sag and the paint was actually <laughs> moving down. Anyway, I had to leave them. And the fair is only on for like a week anyway, yeah. if that. <laughs> and um, at the end of that, I um, I took them down and got them home, and I turned them all the other way up. <laughs> so the paint now ran the opposite way, and it kind of leveled itself out. And I finally managed to get them right. But there was two or three because um, I had to I had to give him quite a lot of work. Mm. Two or three that were actually um, it looked like someone accidentally stepped on them, and you got like a kind of boot prints in the in the actual. Um, in the paint surface that was kind of dimpled with the boot print, you know. That's interesting. In in the catalogue that you sent me, um, yeah. was it Frances Woodley? Is that yeah, her name? Uh, yeah. Is that her name? Yeah. She she did um, sort of mention that about your work, how it resembles almost like skin or like human flesh, and you know, and, and maybe the fact that there was this boot print in there kind of related to that to that sort of human aspect of life. Well, work. I mean, the, the boot print was um, no, it was a bit later, but um, yeah, I mean. Some of it because of the um, the structure of the paints, and also some of it is to do with the paint's own stability. Um, you get this wrinkling. Um, it, I think you can avoid it, but but you'd have to sacrifice a certain amount of the the um, quantity, uh, obviously. So so the thicker it gets, uh, and the, the the more you put on in one go, that's more to do with it really. Um, so if you you pour a ton of it on there, work around with that, mm. then you're going to find that you do have months and months, if not years, for it fully to dry. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, um, the the skin wrinkles. And the other point about these paints, these industrial paints that I have been working with, is that they're not as stable as conventional paints. There's certain things that happen to them um, whilst they're drying, which can uh, to some extent, it creates its own aesthetic within the work, um, but it also can be at times you think, I don't, I don't know if I really want that, that to happen, you know. So they're a little bit unpredictable. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. And how does that relate to your subject matter? Um, because well, I know that you, that your subject matter has a lot to do with uh, the mundane objects, so yeah. things like pill packets, 
bubble wrap, masking tape, painting, cardboard. Yeah. Um, how, how does that relate to, to those well, subjects? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a funny thing because the paint itself started to become more of a, a, a kind of a theme, if you like, um, over a number of years. Initially, the paintings were very flat that I did um, and just working with flat areas of colour which I, I, I'm still going back to, I'm still kind of wrestling with. Mm. Um, but what happened was I started to notice that with the, the use of Kremlitz and Flake Wise, I was starting to build up this kind of textured surface. Um, mainly, to be honest, it was, it, was, it was an accidental thing, really. And I started to think, well, that could become um, part of the, the painting's sort of, you know, sort of concept, if you like. Um, so I started to explore thickening that and using more generous layers of paint. And then it occurred, then I started to think, well, you know, how have other painters coped with the sheer quantity of paint? Um, have they made it themselves? Have they bought stuff? Uh, what have they bought? Uh, where did they get it from? And, and all those questions. And uh, I, I stumbled upon the uh, industrial paints through conversations with different people and speaking to other artists who who use them it was as simple as that um, and um, then I started to explore the, the idea that actually the paint was as much a part of the theme of the painting as the object so you've got this tension between the object itself and the, the, the actual paint um, and I suppose at times, you know, the paint has become the dominant sort of area within what what is a kind of formalist um, approach to painting, um, where the the painting itself and um, how it looks, um, are, um, separate from the subject matter, is the the kind of where it's at, um, and then of course, mistrusting that, you go back to the subject. Um, sometimes as a support and as an area that you're safe with uh, and then you, you go back to the this kind of um, notion of the painting you know it's its own paint its own life itself so it's that kind of thing that's been going on really mm. I think yeah. mm -hmm. and I, I know that you mentioned that about was it five years ago that your work was more more representational than it is now and in a lot of your works in your studio seem to be more de dealing with actual paint so there's one painting yeah. over there which is which is literally like a, almost like a kind of a just a just a mishmash of of, of scraped paint on on the canvas yeah. so so what triggered your you know that, that point in your practice where you started using where you started going more towards um abstraction perhaps because well, a, yeah. a lot of your works even though i can see it's an object at the, at the same time it's it's clearly more to do with the physicality of, you yeah. know, of the paint. I think what happened was, was um, I was working from um, a transparent subject matter, um, which is in, in itself um, creates a kind of ambiguity. Um, and what, what I had as, as on this wall here, 
and I'm pointing towards the area that I actually paint uh, mm. from. Yeah, yeah you kind of work like in like the corner of your studio, it's, it's don't corner, you? Which, yeah. which is where you work on your, is it your drawings uh, first uh, or, or your paintings? Well, what, what I normally do is I, I have arrangements of, of objects on the table yeah. and I kind of sit back there mm -hmm. and I sometimes draw them and then go into painting. But um, no, I mean, I was working from some bubble wrap pinned to this wall mm. and I'd been doing some quite sort of analytical work, examining the textures and um, working out what I wanted to include and, and edit into the work and, and um, what I wanted to leave out. Um, and I, I decided, well, very, very kind of, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, it really is just a series of um, areas of slight tonal change, slight colour change, um, with a, a vague kind of outline. And so I started to explore that and try to find ways of just kind of putting that down in, in you know, sorts of blocks of colour. And so I did a, a sort of rather sort of grey looking thing over there. And then I did a small series of developments from that. But then bringing the um, the paint surface into the into the the whole mix, so the painting itself started to become more about the paint uh, than the subject, and I suppose that's one of the the reasons perhaps why I've gone for transparent subject is that it's a way of exploring um, the, the perhaps the qualities of paint to some extent rather than the the objects so much. Mm, I think if the yeah. objects were big loud things, yeah. I would be um, kind of trying to tackle that. Mm. Um, mm. So that's, but, that's but again, it goes back to your, to your thing about tension, isn't it? It's this tension yeah. between using such a mundane throwaway object mm. and you're and at the same time, you, you know, you're using the real sort of physicality of, yeah. you know, of the paint, so you've got that kind of tension. I mean, um, I think yeah. also the, the idea of, um, you know, having a subject and, and then deciding what, what you're going to include. Uh, is is an interesting area because that that whole idea of um, editing out stuff um, I've been doing for years and as painters you probably you know representational painters kind of probably take that for granted mm. that what they're painting from or what they're looking at or what they're, they're, they're working from they're going to edit change completely even if you, you're working from a photograph I mean if I've um, sometimes I have worked from photographs and and the end result is can be a highly photographic piece of work, mm. but um, what you what what it seems to look like is, is very photographic, but actually there's an awful lot of stuff is taken out from the photograph, and you you end up with this complete reduction going on. And I suppose the idea of reduction becomes part of the work as well. You know what you can remove, what you can get away with, mm. what you can take out. Um, when you take something out you can also add allow things back in but you've got to be careful because one well, from my point of view you have mm. um because adding things can cause problems mm. Mm. that's interesting because <laughs> I, I noticed out down, down here you've got some um are these paintings right yeah these yeah, yeah that's interesting because you've got You've got very, very hyper-realistic paintings of your paintings. Yeah. Right? Is that right? Could you, could you talk it's, a bit more about yeah. these? It is a kind of, uh, I suppose, quite narcissistic sort of um, <laughs> yeah. enterprise here going on in the corner, which I've, I've, I'm not making a big thing out of because it's an area of exploration. Oh, right. And right. Uh, what I try to do is I try to have um, 
sort of niches of exploration that I mess about with, small things that I try and work on and see how they develop. And I had a conversation with a painter, it's about two, three years ago, in the studio in here. And um, he, was, he suggested that um, I use some of the paintings as models because they're quite three-dimensional paintings that they could actually, you could paint from them. So I left that idea because I, I didn't have time at that, that point to ex explore it, you know. But eventually, um, earlier this year, I came back to it and thought, I'm going to see what happens if I photograph them and then work from the photographs of the paintings. Um, and I suppose what you, you've got is a kind of... Um, kind of illusion of something, um, an illusion of a paint surface created um, photographically. It's still, like I say, it's still in its infancy. Mm. Um, and how, how, are you, how, how are you coping with that? Because going back to what you were saying earlier about how um, uh, representational painters tend to um, sort of pick and choose a lot of the time, what, what mm -hmm. they're painting. Have, have you taken any, anything out of that, or, or are you literally painstakingly painting the object well, well, as it is? Yeah, um, no, a lot had to be sacrificed. Yeah. Uh, at first, my objective was just to simply see how I get on with just recording the visual data that's in front of me without any kind of um, favor, favor or anything, you know. Um, but I realised pretty soon in that that was not going to be possible because the sheer amount of sheer level of um, miniature kind of detail is just too much, yeah. and I I, I quickly yeah. found myself in the process of whittling away stuff. Yeah. Um, and with one or two of them, I decided after a very sh uh, after a shorter space of time than others to stop. So some are more detailed, some are less, mm. depending on what I felt was necessary at the time. Yeah. But also it gave me a chance to explore the, the way the light falls on the actual painting itself and the effects of light and shade on the, the surface of that painting. And that was quite interesting, just starting to work with that. Um, so the painting very much as an object, not, not being recorded as it is a painting. Um, so yeah, that's mm, the... Yeah. I mean, it's like a Trump, uh, low, low. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. I'll try and say it probably one day. Um, uh, exploration. Yeah, Trump, 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 is it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> possibly, possibly. Um, and um, mm, because that also has been a theme with some of the work, particularly the earlier radiator paintings. Um, and it wasn't until a curator spoke to me, she came up here and she said, um, if I'm going to, if I if I want to exhibit your radiator painting, I want to do it at at, um, at ground sort of low down level in the exhibition, because um, it would fit with more of what it's representing. And I suddenly thought the suggestion there was that it, it actually is like uh, an illusion of the radiator. Um, so. That has been an area that, that I've looked at anyway, the, the, the illusionistic side of things and how, um, you know, what you're painting, <coughs> excuse me, it's not only, um, uh, you know, a representation of it, but it could also become an illusion of the, um, the whole thing, you know, depending on the depth of the, um, the space between you and the object. Uh, and the, the the way that you represent it on the picture plane, it can become uh, 
very illusionistic. Mm-hmm. And do you think um, that, that that form of illusion is also in your more um, sculptural pieces as well? You think? That's that's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it is. <laughs> um, because well, the, the, any illusions in terms of the um, what they're representing has been lost through the paint and through all that. Um, however, the the um, that was taken up with those paintings to some extent. That that, that was sort of referenced there. Mm. So. I don't know how to get myself out of that question, mm. really. Um, no, it, they're not. They're not illusions so no, much. Maybe so. maybe it's an illusion of like with space, because I know that you've that, that you've spoken about the you know the shallow, shallowness of space as yeah. well, haven't you? So maybe you are sort of dealing with dealing with that. Well, I mean, within possibly. within this area, you are automatically if you're working from um, a, a a visual you know an object in front of you that's that's three-dimensional or whatever you have a very short uh, area of space um, you're, you're working in shallow space basically you know, mm. for want of a better yeah. word yeah um, and um, within that shallow space you can find yourself in a situation where the object becomes um, you, you're questioning whether or not you want to actually portray that object actual size small in actual size, large in actual size, and how that has an impact on the final painting. Because if you make it, I mean, some of these paintings in here uh, have actually been measured at painting through actual measuring out the object with a ruler, and then transferring those measurements onto the canvas, and then working out um, what that object really is is like, because the, the, some of the objects are so flat, um, and have very little um, three-dimensionality to them. Um, so that's that's another area. Um, you know how um, how the scale size of the object is represented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know at the moment in your studio you're currently working on. I don't know. I'd say quite a large painting compared to a lot of your mm. smaller ones. Um, yeah. Of is it a is it going to be a flat uh, painting of a of a piece right. of cardboard? Yeah, the, the the idea of the cardboard. What I did there was I I looked at the cardboard and I thought that that could make an interesting subject. Um, so I um I thought about doing actual size, but I thought it would actually work better if it was larger than actual size because there's there's not that much on it. It's it's relatively just a flat. Uh, uncolored surface. So in order in order to get get the most from that, I could I could make it larger and actually work on some of the the actual structuring of the corrugations on this surface and bring those into the painting um, and make that become more of a theme, which I haven't actually got round to yet because it it's still drying. Mm. Um, so that's why it was made bigger. But in terms of its proportions, it's exactly the same as that. And to do it, what I did was I um, used an extra piece of cardboard, placed it on top of the the canvas uh, in the in the corner, and then used a diagonal to scale it up um, from corner to corner within the the actual canvas yeah, using a long ruler. And then I created a template of the um, of the piece of cardboard, a bigger template, and then moved that around on the canvas to find the best fit. And then you drew round that to start off the painting. So I had I had I'd worked out where I wanted it on 
the canvas, um, which is a bit weird because I was, you know, thinking about ratios and sizes and the proportions of that shape within yeah. that shape. Yeah. And for want of a simplicity, I thought I'd be better off with, with a template that could be just moved about and you can then say, you know, this works, this doesn't work, this yeah. it needs to be to the left or to mm, the right, you know, mm, that mm, kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. And, and you've got some um, sort of similar <coughs> side canvases, and um, much larger ones of the, um, is it the radiator yeah, paintings? Yeah, some of those behind there. And, yeah. and those are, are the same size as like, like an actual radiator, are they? Yeah, that, that one, this one here is exactly the same size as one behind it. It's roughly the same size, mm, yeah. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, that was they, they were all measured out, um, but also they had to they had to be painted three dimensionally. So I had to sort of think about the distance I was from the object, um, the size of the object, and obviously the the representation going on there. Because <clears throat> you find yourself in, in in a whole series of different worlds there. There's there's a relationship between you and that object, and then there's the relationship between you and the painting. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's no, I don't know if there's any relationship between the painting and the object because <laughs> they don't have, they have the capacity to <laughs> no, have a relationship. No, but, yeah, yeah. but do you see what I mean? Um, yeah. there's, there's that kind of. Um, well, there's that kind of connection, isn't there? Yeah. There's, there's almost like a sort of a linkage be between all of them, I yeah. think, which is interesting. Um, so you've got one painting, is it one painting in the Project and Seabrook collections called Containers? Yeah, yeah. From 2013. Uh, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, that was carried out around, yeah, um, around about 2012. Um, and at that point in time, I was exploring um, kind of um, throwaway disposable objects, which I still am really. Yeah. Um, and it's a painting of two plastic household um, containers that are used for you know, bathroom stuff, basically. And they're arranged on the... Um, on a, it's painted on a, a panel um, with um, pretty conventional oil paints, some of them handmade, you know. And um, they were painted really in this space here, um, sort of muted tones with um, a horizontal kind of basis, so it's a, a landscape um, format. Yeah. And um, that, that series, I was kind of working on that for about four or five years really on and off and um, I think what I was trying to do there was to, to simplify and to remove a lot of um, uh, unwanted stuff from the, the, the painting so that you were just really focusing on um, one or two very simple objects and it was really just about creating a simple painting with with no kind of stuff going on apart from uh, it's, it's like a meditation um on objects on the objects in front of you within the space mm. um mm. and um the, the brushwork is pretty evident it's a, i haven't tried to conceal it it's it's still you know clearly a painting um yeah so really that's uh, i mean i suppose in a way it's kind of mirandi-esque um, in its kind of um, the way it's done, yeah. And the concept of still still lives has played quite a large part in your 
practice. Yeah, I mean, I was for a long time. I was trying to find another term for for it other than still life because, you know, it kind of. I don't know. I I was just trying to see if 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 there's another way of thinking about those kind of things. But I've I've kind of accepted that you do have to see it as still life. Um, arrangements of objects um, could be another way of sort of uh, quantifying it. But uh, yeah, it's become part of a still life sort of um, conversation, if you like. Um, and um, I suppose during that time, it's been about looking at work, work, uh, objects that are actually small, but also some, some much bigger ones with reduced colour. I mean, those objects were chosen because they didn't have a lot of um, their own colour to them. The, the, the colours that they had were, were, were low-key, so that they didn't sort of take over and become part of something else in, the, in work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what fascinates you about the sort of muted, muted colour and these sort of muted um, tones of objects, or or at least the, those kind of objects which which tend to have very you know as you say sort of low low key colour, almost like well again what going back to what you were saying earlier about the idea of the throwaway, you know in yeah. some ways the, these objects that, you know with them being muted you, you don't really sort of see them they're just kind of objects that you might just yeah I mean I think I think I was looking for things that were um, I suppose off the radar that you <clears throat> that you didn't see because um, you know an awful lot of still life has been done and um, I felt you know as a, as a painter of, of objects and stuff um, it was perhaps good if I could find new material uh, and explore things that were different um, not that I have, probably I think everything's been done in one form or another, but um, it was just an opportunity to, to, to maybe find a new lease of life from another subject. Um, in terms of um, that reduced tone, uh, my palette itself, which I've used for over 30 years now, has, has always been pretty much a reduced palette anyway. Um, uh, there's one blue, uh, like an ultramarine, um, what a black, which is usually um, lamp black, um, because it's slightly warmer, sort of as blacks go. Um, a white, um, yellow ochre, and cadmium red, and that's kind of the, the, the main colours that I use. I don't really use anything else. Which which white do you use? At the moment, because of. Um, uh, lot of reasons I've had to start relying more heavily on titanium white um, because I mean I was using flake and kremnitz and um, other sorts of whites Flemish white and derivatives of the the, the flake the lead based paints um, but they've been because of market changes and because of uh, health and safety regulations etc you can't get them so easily. The only way you can get them now is by um, as a restorer. So you claim that you're a restorer <laughs> and you go and buy a tube of paint, ah. but they'll only give you a tube. Right. You can't go. I can't like in the past. <laughs> used to get several tubes or whatever, several large, heavy. Now it's just one, and you can't go back regularly because it does look very suspicious, you know. Right. And the people selling them are very aware of that, you know. So um, I mean, I could justify using them for restoration purposes but 
um, it's it's difficult because I would be kind of saying I was restoring probably my own work, you know. Um, uh, I mean, I can see why it's used for restoration purposes because a lot of older paintings were done using flake and um, lead-based paints. Because I mean, as a paint itself, it's 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 brilliant. Mm, yeah. um, it does exactly what you want. Mm. Is it much much brighter and more more brilliant well, than than the titanium? It's, it's it's transparent to a greater extent than titanium mm. white, which is very opaque. Mm. And that that has a big impact because the the colours you work with, uh, with that paint, if if that paint's your base, if the lead paint is your base, anything you add to it comes through that paint a lot more um, clearly, um, and you have to use a lot more white paint to to conceal it. Um, so what you find yourself doing is you find yourself using an awful lot more of the white paint in your painting and an awful lot less of the other colours. Uh, it's cheaper in that respect because you're not using so much red, blue, yellow, etc. But it's expensive because you're having to use more lead-based paint. Well, up until a few years ago that was fine because it was only like standard prices for, for, for lead paint. But suddenly they pushed the price right up because no one could get it. Um, uh, you know, so an average shoe became hundred pounds. You know. Yeah, that's expensive. Um, yeah. Mm. And um, it suddenly become becomes less. Yeah, you, you have to you have to look at alternatives, and that's also where the um, industrial paint to some extent oh, came right. in yeah. because mm. it was um, a lot cheaper, mm. and at times it looked like it does look like um, flake white at times, and it does dry sometimes very matte, which flake white does. Um, so that kind of it, it, it's a bit like using those paints. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so the reason why you started using industrial paints was was from um, was from an economic perspective rather than a, a mixture. Really, yeah, yeah, right. I like I like the qualities. I like the stringiness. Mm. And for a long time, I've been trying to buy flake white that did that because I know that you know certain paints. You, Handmade paint can have a, hand, uh, a tendency to do that, but making large quantities of lead paint, um, kind of, although health and safety wise, you, you can get through it, sooner or later, you're gonna end up with some somewhere on you or in you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just playing around in my mind and also, yeah. you know, having it all over the studio. Yeah, yeah. Copious quantities yeah. of lead powder yeah. in boxes yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was only a matter of time before something went wrong. <laughs> I mean, I know that lead paint, um, if if you if you've got it in powder form and you knock it or something, it it, it will disperse into the air, but it doesn't it doesn't hang around. It drops quickly because it's obviously very heavy. Uh, so it's it's not so much the, the the breathing in of the fumes or whatever. It's it's um it's more to do with getting it into your fingers or into your body, um, into cuts and stuff like that that you have to worry about. But yeah, um, don't you think it's amazing that you know artists and especially painters like they, they put their lives at risk yeah, <laughs> for making yeah. art? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think there's also something quite magical about working with paints, paints, um, traditional paints from history, because you f you feel whether or not you really are or not, you feel like you're communicating with um, past generations, and um, through the medium of you know the actual medium. You feel like you're you're just kind of having a 
I feel as to what you know maybe Rembrandt or someone like that was feeling at the time in terms of the materials you, you're using um, I mean and that that sort of it's quite a, it's quite a, an important part of your work because it helps you to create a kind of reference with the works of other artists um, a, a tried and tested kind of um, you know falling back into into history um, as a support and those links I mean talking about other artists now so um, the links with other artists um, can be important when you're painting uh, it can both act as a crutch mm, if you're if you're course. stuck yeah but it can also um, help you find ways out of difficult problems yeah. I mean quite often when I'm I'm stuck with a painting I go off and grab a book and look at how someone else might have tackled something similar mm, yeah. from maybe anything from 500 years or more ago um, from the Renaissance right through and just see and look at the different um, ways in which particular compositional problems or problems of um, you know applying paint or using the, you know subject matter or something mm, yeah. or, or even the concept as well yeah yeah because going back to what you were saying earlier about, about the idea of still lives mm. and you're kind of um challenging or trying to transform how we how we perceive our still life to be mm. artists have, have done that throughout history haven't they yeah yeah mm. i mean um there's been yeah i suppose a, a long tradition um, a lot of still life painting probably started in, in, in the dutch still life painting sort of of the 1700s and uh, sort of around about then but obviously you know that you can trace it back to Roman and sort of origins with um, paintings of sort of arrangements of wine and grapes etc and um, different sort of containers represented by artists then um, so but I think as a tradition it, it took off in the 1700s um, in Holland um, you know yeah <laughs> um, and I know that um, you've been inspired by, you know, as you've said, by people like Vermeer and Rembrandt. Are there any contemporary artists that yeah, there is. Um, you feel particularly drawn to? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And um, I mean, I suppose the more contemporary, I mean, immediate contemporary, I'm probably going to steer clear of because um, that's a tricky area. But in terms of the likes of, for example, Kossoff and Auerbach, they became interesting. Um, I mean, for example, I went to see uh, an exhibition recently at, uh, I think it was a Tate. Was it the Auto-Human Yeah, exhibition? probably, yeah. yeah, that, that yeah, yeah. And um, I'd seen um, Auerbach's exhibition of his works by Catherine Lampard um, several years earlier, or a year or two earlier. Um, but seeing this exhibition recently, um, some of the, the paintings there were much bigger. And what I realised there was that um, both artists, Kossoff and Auerbach, were exploring um, materiality a long, long time ago. Um, but they were also then going back into more representational interpretations of things. Uh, uh, so they were, they were kind of moving in and out of the, the, the sort of very thick use of paint in, in some examples through to things that 
you could kind of see the kind of skeleton of something in there um, uh, with, with not so much emphasis on the, the sheer sort of quantity of paint, you know. Um, so in a way that was, was interesting. Um, also, I mean, um, Kapoor's work with uh, resins and um, uh, waxes, etc., um, have been quite interesting um, because with his work, he's, he's removed any evidence that they've been made by hand uh, as such, um, and that the the kind of three dimensional structures coming out from a, a flat area. But they still have a, a tendency to look like paint, so there's some kind of possible kind of um, areas. Yeah, that I'm yeah. And, and going back to what you were saying about the Auto Human show, that there mm. were two rooms which were quite interesting um, by artists, I think from from the Slade School, yeah. a mixture of students and um, professors. I, I forget their I forget their names now, but there was one painting of a building site in um, London oh. somewhere, and it was. It was quite a big painting, yeah. and and it was all kind of very earthy toned, and and you could just see the you know the hive of activity, mm. and even though it, it was almost like sort of borderline abstraction, abstract expressionism, mm. and it was very um, not your painting is very sculptural, very much to do with the actual physicality of the paint. You you, you could get still get a sense of the actual landscape, you know the you yeah. know the you know the men on, on the building site actually yeah. kind of pouring paint paint into the you know into the quarries and you know and so on. Yeah. yeah um that yeah that that i think there's a room with um coldstream and uh Uglo and other mm, yeah. <coughs> um paints there but i can't remember all the different yeah. goings yeah. on there mm. um but yeah there is again some possibly a tension there between subject and and material yeah um and and also color and time come into that play because when you're working with when the materials are taking over it's, it can be difficult to control um definite colors definite tones and some of those areas become um so the boundaries become blur blurred yeah. to some extent do you, do, do you find that um control kind of difficult in your work or have, have you found a way yeah to, well yeah with with the, the, the obviously the great quantity of paint mm. controlling everything controlling the paint itself controlling the color controlling what it's doing um, you have to accept that some of the things are going to happen that you don't necessarily accept uh, straight away or, or want it to, to ha have happen uh, and you have to ex just accept them you know uh, and other things happen that are great you know you think wow you know um, I suppose from a practical point of view if, if you if you could try and get rid of this kind of wanting to kind of fiddle too much, you would find probably that you could explore just the practical application of paint without any consideration of aesthetics. But I don't know if that's a situation you can actually get to. I don't know. I think it's always going to happen, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know? I mean, it's like you say, I mean, when, when you've got an object in front of you in the studio and you know the natural light's moving around. Mm during the day I mean of, of course it's going to be more sort of difficult to control than, than if you're yeah. working from a from, from a photograph mm. you know a flat photograph of a yeah. you know of a painting to to your work yeah yeah I mean yeah. I mean 
but uh, yeah, the paint itself, the thicker and the the more viscous or whatever it becomes, um, the the less easy it is to control, and uh, um, that is all part of the whole thing. That's what you're up against, and that's what what comes across. And with um, the Arbach and Kossoff work, you can see that going on with the work. There's one or two where they've become almost just a, a fight against just the materials, and you can see the paint being just dragged on with thin brushes actually not big great big brushes mm. but actually quite narrow gauge brushes mm. um to, to kind of overcome some kind of representational or um image-based problem you know that they've got mm. i'm just looking around your studio and you've got some works like that work down there which is just i, I can't even tell if it's a if it's a of if, if it's a painting yeah. object or whether it's just a load of paint that's just been like smeared what i, I did for that was i arranged some uh, pinky sort of fabric on the wall yeah and um use that and I, uh, there's two different types of fabric sort of arranged and sort of pinned on there and then i just thought right um i i kind of scraped on the paint and you, you almost in those circumstances the idea of working with a palette and mixing this color and that color becomes um, irrelevant. You're really at war with the paint. And um, you've got to kind of respond to it fairly quickly. Um, and wh when you're moving a brush, be aware that stuff's going to come off the brush quicker than you can anticipate. So you're kind of moving around <laughs> um, that space, um, actually mixing the colour on the surface of the painting. So the painting is, is both performing as a palette and as a, a painting itself. That's right, that's right. And, that, and I think that you're very much de dealing with the alchemy of paint, aren't you, I think? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally. Um, and and with, with those sorts of paints, you find yourself scraping back and saving because you have so much paint and some of it isn't being used. You do have to end up kind of putting it somewhere and storing it and that paint can then be reworked and reused mm -hmm. yeah. um it's it's funny though because you you end up working with a very impure subject uh material yeah material, material. yeah material um, <laughs> talk about the tension between objects yeah you're, you're working with a very impure material, <laughs> yeah, material. and um the note the, then you you start to lose the idea of control right mm, yeah because you haven't got that purity when you're working with something pure you can modify it you can see you can take an ad and take away and you can work systematically like that you can't when when that's been uh, abused or whatever and you're you're really just kind of manhandling it you know um so in a way that that also presents a problem because after a while you do start to question it and you want you want us to see what happens when you go back to, to controlling things and seeing what happens there. Um, so in a way, I think there's two things going on with the paintings. Uh, there's um, this this uncertainty mm. between the, uh, the the sort of subjective, the out of control, and the more objective on the formalist. Mm. Um, uh, or whether the two meet, you know, I mean, mm. it's, it's a difficult, mm. you know, sort yeah. of, thing to bridge mm -hmm. uh, and inevitably I find myself just having to sort of stop doing one thing and try out 
And I thought, you know. Mm. Which is where the cardboard worm yeah, comes in. That yeah, that was a way of getting away from the very um, thick, heavy paintings uh, and just exploring something that's flat. But, but that said, that could develop into a very, very three-dimensional thing given a bit of time um, because there's a possibility of that. Uh, I can see it actually going down that road of coming yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think that, that you'd um, that you'd build a lot of paint on, on that particular size or do you think that you'll stick to um, reducing well, that I th down? I think that painting will probably stay as it is, but I'm thinking more... Uh, well, no, I mean, yeah. I'm going to change and work on top of that, but yeah. it, it won't become thicker. No, no. Um, but I think that that could be the starting point for some much thicker paintings um, because it's given me a lot of ideas. Mm. And really, that's what its purpose is, is to provide ideas and, and ideas for something else. And in a way, I, I, I'm kind of chasing ideas um, more so than anything. Yeah. The I'm, I don't see it as, as producing an individual painting no. um, it's really just part of a dialogue with the materials yeah yeah okay cool. um, if we could talk a bit more about um, your, your interview with Francis Woodley in 2016 um, and you kindly sent me the catalogue thank you for oh. that. <laughs> thank you for that um, and you were discussing the idea of purist painting and correct practice and I know that we've touched on the tension between the formulist and the idea of illusion, but if you could just talk a bit more about what you mean surrounding the idea of purist painting, if you could just clarify um, what, what you mean by, by that. Well, I think um, the, the idea of um, the painting <coughs> looks like and the way it's made, right, as being the kind of... Um, definition of what the painting's about so in other words how it's um, constructed how the, the actual paint is put on and um, how the paint looks just taking away representation uh, and removing it from uh, its its illusionistic properties um, then that would be the idea of um, kind of the formalistic approach um, when we talk about correct practice I think w w in that same interview that was raised um, probably it's a, it's a difficult one because there's no such thing as correct practice you can't mm. really say there's a way of doing things yeah. but um, I suppose traditionally speaking there's ways of putting on paint um, that you're supposed to follow fat over lean and um, that mm. all that sort of yeah. thing yeah. Um, and um, the w ways of mixing colours to achieve the most from those colours. Um, I think a lot of it is to, to, uh, trying to hold on to ideas of what painting is and what painting is about um, and in your mind. And once you start to leave those ideas, there's insecurities, to be honest. And... Um, Sometimes you've got to go back and uh, and kind of have that security and have that knowledge that uh, feel that maybe this is what painting might be about. It, it might not be about mm. those things, yeah. but it, it's about having at least um, somewhere to go to to 
kind of develop the next set of plays forward or the mm. next idea, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I mean, painting acting like a painting, you know, I mean, what is a painting? I mean, all these questions start to pop up. Mm. So, um, yeah. you know, how it relates to the visual world, um, does it have to relate to the visual world? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Mm. And in some of your paintings, that idea of you know the um, you know the space, you know the background space and the mm. and the foreground are kind of almost blurred. Mm. So so again, you know, you're playing playing with the idea of space. Yeah, uh, space. I mean, mm. within paintings is interesting because um, you're you're creating that illusion of space. Mm. Um, you're creating um, a feeling depth, um, and and also you're doing that. Through the illusion of the painting, but but you're looking at you're looking at objects that are in space, and then you're you're sort of painting them on the surface as if they're in space. I think what what I found myself doing there is looking at ambiguous objects, so objects that um, weren't kind of that weren't saying that much, that weren't familiar, yeah. or that, that were difficult to understand. Mm. Uh, uh, in order to create questions, yeah, and um, mm. hence the reason for the transparent objects, the bubble wrap, yeah, disposable yeah. stuff, mm -hmm. yeah, um, fabric particularly, because it can it can form all sorts of strange shapes, mm. and um, that whole idea of uh, ambiguity, which is brought out in another exhibition that was involved in a few years back called Ambiguous Practices. Um, that was um, a selection of different paintings by different artists mm. uh, looking at the whole notion of ambiguity in still life. Um, and what you discover is that some, some artists would build models of arrangement uh, of things to paint yeah. out of plasticine, um, clay, etc., mm. and work from those. Mm. Other people created um, almost. Um, Kind of, uh, kind of imaginary objects, you know, um, and so that that in itself became a, an area of exploration because I actually tried using um, plasticine for a while, oh, right. but I, yeah. I discovered that I wasn't comfortable with working from um, things that I'd made myself. Yeah, um, objects that I'd created, I still haven't actually quite got round to dealing with those okay well um, why, why why do you find i don't know i just found it? instantly that as i was painting them i wasn't getting the kind of um stimulation that i was normally getting from the other the man-made the okay. you know the found objects etc that were already in a state of completion mm. um these objects that i've made myself they were kind of uncertain and um uh, I just, I did, I never quite felt I'd got the right arrangement, or I'd never felt I'd quite got the right shape to the object, or you know, with a, a, a with um, with a yeah, yeah. If anyone can can hear any weird noises, it's actually my. I don't know if it's, it's Alex. Mine, oh, it's it's Alex's tummy, tummy rumbling. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's almost lunchtime. But anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah, that's what you're saying. Um, no, but um. So I did, I experimented with that, I bought yeah. some clay, uh, it's not clay, um, plasticine. Yeah. But 
I so I've, I've, I've put that down. I'm not saying I, I, it's not, I can't, I, I don't want to do, but um, for some people, they're, they're very comfortable with that. And some people make stuff out of tape and cardboard, etc. And um, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I, I think that's great. I really like that. And I, like I say, I've tried to, to do it. The nearest I've got is using bits of masking tape to hold things down or to support things and including that in the work. Um, I'm comfortable with that, uh, but yeah. Uh, so, so the, the the object making uh, for the still life has been a, a one that I've found mm. a, a struggle with. Do you, do you think that you'll eventually resolve the struggle and maybe start? You know, I don't know. Um, I'll just have to see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, at the moment, I've left it. Um, I only did one painting actually using those materials. Mm. <clears throat> um, which has presented me with a problem because I've got a great big bag of plasticine now that mm. uh, I don't I don't know what to do with. So mm. I'm sure I'll have okay. to think of something. Yeah, okay. um, I even tried flattening out the plasticine so that we've got flat areas oh, okay. and using yeah. that. Mm. But um, it still wasn't quite right. Okay. Um, and also in this heat, I set some up last week and I came back and it actually just sunk down. And change shape oh, a bit like the paints themselves yeah that might be quite an interesting in some concept. in some ways it is similar to, to oil paint yeah um uh plasticine it's mm. it's like a very thick oil paint um because mm. some of the paints is actually termed the the industrial paint is actually termed as paste mm. when you, you buy it um so yeah it's 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 a whole thing of materiality yeah. and it's come into the subject matter itself mm. and the paint. You're more attracted to the uncertainty of the man-made objects rather than the... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, does that yeah. make sense? Yes. Yeah. Rather yeah. than this kind of idea that you've you've got control over the thing. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you can move it around, you can keep doing that. Yeah. I mean, even, even when you've got an arrangement of objects that are man-made or mm. found or whatever, yeah. You still find yourself manipulating that arrangement, moving yeah. it from one place to another, mm. realizing that actually it needs to be a bit to the left because there's some light hitting it on one side that yeah. shouldn't be there, yeah. or that um, uh, if you turned it a slightly different way, it pick up the light in a different way and yeah. look different. And that's a form of uncertainty. That, that is, mm. and you, you, in a way, you're making something there because you're creating that arrangement, mm. which then you're going to try to represent in some way or other um and I, I mean i found myself in some occasions for a whole almost a day arranging fabric or arranging an object or arranging something um and, and being very confused about what what i'm really trying to find and what i'm really trying to work on i actually went through a phase of taking photographs of uh, arrangements of fabric mm and trying to work from those right. and at first it seemed like a logical solution yeah why don't I photograph it work from that photograph right yeah. simple right um but then I found myself taking not just one photograph five ten fifteen twenty sooner or later you've got this array of photographs you've moved the object in each you've taken them from slightly different angles you've changed the lighting you've done everything You've printed it off differently because yeah. the type of printing affects things, you know. Uh, and then you're saying to yourself, now I'm going to paint it. I'm going to take it through that process and I'm going to remove more stuff or I'm going to alter stuff. 
I'm going to end up. So I thought there's too many variants here. Mm. There's too many things going going out there. I want to just I want something simpler than that. Um, so at times I've had to abandon the idea of photography because then you you you've not only got to to photograph it different in so many different ways to find the the one thing that you want to do, but then the whole printing of that image and what that looks like comes into play, and you're thinking to yourself, well, um, if I printed this on different paper, if I um, adjusted the the tones colours through the printing process, you know, how's it going to look then? You know. Um, so it wasn't a release. It wasn't making things easier. It was actually making things even more complicated. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I didn't want to find myself in a position where the the painting was just simply an attempt to reproduce that that photograph entirely onto the canvas. I can see that. I can see that that is a, an area that's you know suits plenty of other painters. Uh, I'd like it to suit me, but it doesn't necessarily work for me, um, because I see I tend to see that area of that canvas. Once things go on there, that becomes an area of exploration. Mm. That becomes the, the, the playground, is if you like. Yeah. That's where things happen. You can change anything on that surface. You can you can move stuff about. You can change colours. You can change um, composition. You can leave out stuff. All that can go. Yeah. Um, on the surface, mm. um, the notion that you can you can not do that seems to me impossible. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. That once you start yeah. painting on that, you can have an image there to work from. Yeah. But yeah. once you get onto that surface, mm. Mm. it's it's a whole different ball game. I I think it depends on how analytical you are. I mean, mm. I I think if you've got like a mind that's very um, sort of work, works to um, you know works to maths or always very ordered. Then then your work is going to mm. be a bit more like that. But but yeah. if you've got a completely um, you know crazy pinball wizard type mind, no, like you really say, it's not going to work. I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm not actually um, pinball wizard in terms of that. I don't think right. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Um, I, I, I tend to see myself as fairly kind of ordered and analytical mm, yeah. when I'm working. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to to paint, but yeah, once, paint. once you're working on a on a canvas or on a stretch of, or on a board or whatever, um, you're immediately faced with with those kind of problems that you you find yourself having to change things, having to make sacrifices, and suddenly seeing something happen that you weren't expecting it could be just the colors it could be something else and that, it doesn't matter how many times you paint every new painting poses those problems yeah you know you, you're kind of starting from scratch yeah. you back it at the beginning again mm. you know and you can't get away with it. i suppose that in a way for me anyway is um is one of the things i i like about painting mm. has that always been the driving force I think so. That, that something entirely unexpected, uh, mm. new can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I'm looking at the work I produce, you'd say, "Well, he's, he's disproved that theory." <laughs> 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 but no, I don't think you know, so. I, I, it's that feeling. I yeah, think, that yeah, 
yeah you can escape and yeah, that is, yeah. Uh, you know. I think so yeah. yeah well thank you very much Alex yeah. it's been it's been great talking to you <laughs> uh, and I hope you have a lovely day working in your studio yeah. I hope the light doesn't I hope the light follows you around the studio yeah. which I'm sure it will <laughs> It's been it's been a real pleasure discussing some of these things, and um, I think in a way it also helps me to clarify stuff and to also um, gain more perspective on what what I'm actually doing, you know, through the conversation. that's the numbers 23 and carousels and post with the hashtag painters today join me next time for a podcast with Portsmouth based painter Natalie Dowes